Welcome back, everybody, to Down for the Count. I am your girl, Tiffany E., and it is time for a storyline recap. That's right. You seem to like these, so I'm going to start to keep them going. It is time for predictions and a storyline recap. So, Survivor Series. Let, I'm going to have to make up my own story for this. Because they didn't give us one. <laughs> they did not. And I'm so upset, honey. They did not give us one. And I really wanted one. <laughs> so, anyway. um, We have a couple matches for Survivor Series. Yeah? All right. So, let's get into it. Now, let's start off with Shinsuke Nakamura and Damian Priest. Shinsuke Nakamura and Damian Priest have gone through sort of a transition in their careers. Shinsuke Nakamura is more towards the end and having a good time and enjoying his second reign as Intercontinental Champion. Whereas Damian Priest is kind of just getting started and enjoying his reign as United States Champion. But there's been a shift in characters with Damian Priest. At first, he came out and he was a baby face. And he was all about truth and, you know, being doing the right thing and not being a coward. And then he shifted a little while ago. And he has this light and darkness that he hides. There is a dark Damien and a light Damien. And it changed by how he came out. One thing about WWE is they're very particular about how they present their characters. And if you pay attention to the entrances and everything that encompasses them as a character, you will see the subtle changes immediately. And then you'll be able to understand how this is going to work out in the near future or really how the character is going to be presented in terms of storylines and belts and just rivalries in general. With all that being said, Damian Priest and Shinsuke have had little to no interaction. So there isn't much of a storyline there. We all know that Shinsuke Nakamura went from being Nakamura to King Nakamura to back to being Shinsuke Nakamura with Rick Boogs in tow. A very cute and odd pairing in the two. But Rick Boogs makes it fun to watch Shinsuke even though it's already fun enough as it is. He's animated and he's over the top and with the guitar riffs and the screaming and the little ponytail, it makes it all the better and funnier to watch. Not to mention, both men are very talented in the ring. So we're going to have a good match between Shinsuke and Damian Priest. But back to Damian Priest's character shift. Damian Priest has created a light and dark side of himself. And he said that the reason why the dark Damian came out with T-Bar is because T-Bar took it there. They were in the middle of a match once and T-Bar threw a chair at him. And because of that, it caused... Damien to snap. So now you have these two larger than life characters about to battle it out for brand supremacy. You have Shinsuke Nakamura, the current Intercontinental Champion, and Damien Priest, the U.S. Champion. Who is going to will out? Well, in my humble opinion, as much as I love Shinsuke Nakamura, Damien Priest has been on quite a roll. And I see Damien Priest beating Shinsuke Nakamura at Survivor Series. So let's move on to the next story. And this one actually has a story. Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch, two best friends coming out of NXT together, rolling hard and tough. This rivalry has been set back for years, since 2015. 
Charlotte Flair was the golden girl, and Becky Lynch was the friend that everybody saw, the fun last kicker, as she called herself. But as time has gone on, and as people begin to change, Becky Lynch has evolved into a main event star, and Charlotte Flair is still on top of the world, conquering title after title after title. Now you have these two massive entities and massive egos battling it out for brand supremacy. Who is the leading lady of WWE? This would require a serious breakdown. Charlotte Flair can arguably be considered the lady, first lady, the queen of WWE. She is arguably one of, if not one of, if not the best athletically gifted superstar on the roster. And you can argue with your mama on that. She is always in the ready, at the ready. She is always in the mood to conquer and she's always hungry for more. She is always waiting and looking and fighting and taking her next title. She's not about to let anyone just come in and ease in her spot. If you want it, you take it. To her credit, Becky Lynch has tried to do that, if not done it. Becky took a different route than Charlotte. So let's look at Charlotte's life, and then we'll go to Becky's, and then we'll do the predictions. And before that, we'll talk about how they cross paths. Charlotte Flair is the legacy kid, the daughter of Ric Flair. And arguably, she has the most pressure of all, if not the most hate, because she's a flair. She is expected to excel and exceed, but she is not expected to be at the top all the time. However, for her counterpart in terms of her father, he was given red carpet treatment. He wasn't judged and he wasn't told to sit down. But Charlotte Flair is always told, you need to sit down. You need to let someone else be at the side. Why do you always have to be at the top? I saw an interview with BTS Sports and Charlotte Flair made a very good point. The interviewer asked her how she stayed so confident and what was her driving force to being on top of the women's division all the time. Charlotte's response was what a typical, highly competitive athlete would say. I want to be the best. I am the best. Therefore, I'm always fighting for more. I'm always hungry. I'm always looking for my next championship. I'm always waiting in, in laying in wait and waiting for my time to be the best again and again and again. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to make sure you see it. I'm going to beat you. That's my goal in life is to be better, to be greater, to be history making. And the interviewer replied with, it's amazing, number one. And number two, he said, can you see how that can rub people the wrong way? And she had a very good response for that. She said, can I see how it could rub people the wrong way? Yeah, but if I was a man, would you be asking me that question? And to Charlotte Flair's credit, she is right. They don't ask Roman Reigns this question. They don't ask Brock Lesnar this question. They didn't ask her father this question. So is it wrong for Charlotte Flair to always strive to be on top? 
and to want her opponent to take it from her if they want it bad enough. Is that wrong? Is she wrong for how she feels? I agree with her. I think if you want her spot, then you take it. Which leads me to Becky Lynch. Now, Becky had a very different trajectory in WWE. Becky was on the verge of being fired several times. First time was in NXT, and then she was brought in with the Four Horsewomen. Second time was when she was on SmackDown's roster. And she was even the inaugural SmackDown Women's Champion, which that didn't end up lasting long. Becky had a winding road in her wrestling career. But as time progressed, she decided that the best thing for her to do is to change her attitude. Becky became brazen, talkative, bold, brash, in your face, argumentative, and calculating. She calculated her way to the top, and it was a very smart way of doing it. There was a vacuum in the WWE, and in the wrestling world and as a whole. The Rocks and the Stone Colds and the Shawn Michaels and even the Triple H's were the days of the past. And there was no character in WWE that was even close to it. So what did Becky do? Becky came up with the moniker of the man. And the man was able to capture the minds and the hearts of the fans because Becky's character is reminiscent of all of the characters we've seen and known back in the day, Attitude Era, Ruthless Aggression Era, and early PG Era. The days of those types of characters were long gone. And now Becky, reviving herself, ended up reviving and reigniting a fire in the fans for characters who presented themselves as characters. We didn't want a caricature of you. We wanted a character that we can love or a character that we can hate. And Becky presented herself in a way to where people who loved the man could love her and people who hated the man could hate her. She really did embody an evolution that to this day is probably one of the greatest ascensions in WWE history. Truly started from the bottom. And now we're here. One of the highest paid females in sports entertainment. One of the most sought after and requested females in sports entertainment. So much that she can take nine months off to have her first baby and get married and come back and beat one of the fastest rising superstars in WWE history in 26 seconds. Now Becky, of course, has made it very clear that she fears no one in this business. She has gone on to beat Bianca Belair, whether it be clean or not, at least three times. And now she's having her rivalry with Liv Morgan. All the while, the looming battle between her and Charlotte is happening. Now, The feud between Charlotte and and Becky has been dead for quite some time. The two haven't crossed paths in years. 
And you could say that after a few weeks ago with the title changing hands or the title switch ceremony or whatever the hell you want to call it, Charlotte Flair and Becky both reignited the fumes of their feud. The titles were supposed to switch. Okay. They decided to make a big to-do of it, which I don't understand. They could have had them switch it backstage. Charlotte Flair was to hand over the Raw Women's Championship and Becky Lynch was to hand over the SmackDown Women's Championship. Instead of Charlotte handing it to Becky, she dropped the belt on the ground as soon as Becky reached out her hand. And instead of Becky handing Charlotte the title, in response to Charlotte dropping it, she shoved the title in Charlotte's face. This, of course, caused a lot of discord online lack of professionalism, and a lot of rumors and innuendo, mostly directed at Charlotte Flair. Now, outside of the story in kayfabe, we talked about this on our podcast. Go ahead and check it out if you like. Outside of kayfabe, these two haven't been friends in quite some time. And of course, this means that there's something that was going on between the two of them that robbed them of a friendship. But it also could just simply be that people grow and they change. And in those changes, sometimes you lose friends, even your best friends. But with them working in this industry and being having to wrestle each other on occasion, they very well better be able to trust each other. And I'm going to say this and I'll get back to the story. Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch both better take a page out of Matt Hardy and Edge's book because I remember a time where Matt Hardy had every right to kill Edge and allow him to fall on his head or let him injure himself, but he didn't. He put his pride and his anger to the side and he utilized that anger, frustration, and pride and channeled that into every aspect of their rivalry and made it worthwhile to watch all the while protecting Edge and making sure to put professionalism in that ring above all else. At the end of the day, you two are athletes and your job is to entertain. Putting your personal feelings aside for each other and handling the rivalry for one night isn't going to kill you. Make sure that you protect each other and you do what is necessary to make sure the match goes off without a hitch. And then you can go back to your regularly scheduled programming. Let's get back to the story. Becky Lynch made her way back to WWE and she is now taken over. She's gone from the man to big time Bex. Flashy clothes and big glasses and faux furs. Still rocking that braid though. That shysty, raggedy braid. Oh, crash fire. Anyway, now you have these two massive entities, two big behemoths of characters. Big Time Bex is looking to solidify her reign as the Raw Women's Champion and big bring home a big win for Monday Night Raw. Whereas the queen, the evil queen, Charlotte Flair, is still looking to dominate. And she says, if you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. And right now, Becky Lynch is one of the best. So who's going to will out? 
Who's going to win? Is it going to be Charlotte Flair, the evil queen who's been running around as everyone's favorite villain these days? Uh-oh, Charlotte beat Becky. Uh-oh. Or is it going to be Big Time Bex? The woman with all the mouth and all the cunning. I mean, it's really a toss-up, if you ask me. They're both WWE's favorite gal. And I honestly have no dog in this fight. I enjoy both women. And I think both of them are integral to the women's division whether they're putting someone over or maintaining the division as a whole. Charlotte embodies one aspect of the division and Becky Lynch embodies the other. Charlotte Flair embodies the bar. She is the standard of what women should be in each company across the board. If you want to be the best, you've got to beat the best. And if you want to be on top and to continue to stay on top, you have got to make sure that you are the best of the best. And Charlotte Flair has proven time and time again that she is always going to be that girl. Becky Lynch, on the other hand, has proven that I have beaten the best and I can make you be a top billing star just by being in the ring with me. She is not opposed to putting over talent and neither is Charlotte Flair, but it depends on the talent. If you ain't up to snuff, she ain't giving it to you. But Becky's on the other side of the spectrum. Becky's for the advancement of the women's division and she is going to make sure that it has a legacy that is long lasting. Whereas Charlotte Flair is maintaining the integrity and the basics of what the women's division should be, Becky Lynch is maintaining the future and trying to push it forward. Two sides of the same coin. So who do you choose? To me, this is a toss-up. If you are invested in this story, more than likely you are going to side with Becky because Becky is still a villain, but she is... Not as villainous as Charlotte Flair. But the difference between Becky and Charlotte's villain characters are striking and very interesting. Charlotte Flair would rather have a DQ and you lay on the ground than to lose. Whereas Becky Lynch would rather cheat. Very slyly. And get a slimy win no matter the cost. Like I said... Two sides of the same coin. So who do you choose? I pose that question to you, family. Because me, I generally have no vested interest in Becky versus Charlotte. I was very, very, very hoping that Bianca was going to have that Raw Women's Championship. And we would get to see Becky versus, well, Charlotte versus Bianca part two, because I love their chemistry together in the ring. With all that being said, let's move on to the next title bout of brand supremacy. We've got the Usos versus RK Bro. The tag team champions, the Usos, are a part of the bloodline. Nino Brown and the CMB. 
Well, they make up the CMB. <laughs> the CMB is about to fight the RK bro, the the odd couple, the yin and yang, the the weirdos of Monday Night Raw. <laughs> Are you invested in this really? I don't see how the Usos couldn't win. It's no shade to Randy Orton and Matt Riddle, but their time as tag team champion has come and gone. I think it's time for them to pass the baton. So just to be fair and to move forward, we're going to pick the Usos to beat RK-Bro at Survivor Series. So now that we've covered the mid-card titles, the tag team titles, and the main women's title, it is time to move into the story of Big E versus Roman Reigns, a.k.a. Nino Brown. Now, Nino Brown has been champion for well over a year, 400 plus days, very close to beating Brock Lesnar's record. And of course, he's riding a high, hasn't really suffered a pinfall loss. We're going to make that very clear. Hasn't suffered a pinfall loss in over a year. Has been one of the most dominant and frighteningly, freakishly controlling champions in WWE history. And has not seen an end in sight to his terror reign in WWE. Using his cousins as his henchmen in constant protection of his title and his status at the top of the WWE Roman has managed to build a road all the way to next year's WrestleMania from the ladder. He has maintained his championship reign from survivors from SummerSlam of last year and has dominated in every aspect over and over again. No matter how bleak it may have looked for Roman, he has figured out a way to keep his ass on top and it doesn't matter who he has to sacrifice to get it rolling through Rey Mysterio Finn Balor even John Cena Kevin Owens Cesaro he has blown through the entire Smackdown roster and literally no one is capable of taking him down and then you have Big E the Cinderella story the golden boy Big E bested the monster that is Bobby Lashley and was able to capture that title and keep it. Defend his title successfully twice. Once against Bobby Lashley and once against the ever-charismatic Drew McIntyre. Both very solid title defenses. And Big E has been on quite a roll. Now he has two adversaries on Raw that he has to worry about. From this contract looming with Seth Rollins and his ever so loud and large pigeon-toed ego, Drip Rollins, to the angry and obviously frustrated Kevin Owens, who has switched from the face to the heel. Big E has a lot on his plate. He's not like Roman, who's pretty much coasting and not worried about anything. Big E has a target on his back. And he's had it ever since he gained that WWE championship. But out of all of the people that have held that title, he's the only one that is really carrying it with so much grace, no matter how much weight he has. Big E is a commodity that must be protected at all costs. 
And with that being said, I'm going to give you what I want and what I see happening after I finish telling you the story. Now, for the last couple of weeks, Xavier has been on SmackDown just glowing as King Woods. His childhood fantasy has come to life and he could not be in any better mood. Now, after Kofi Kingston was attacked and removed from television due to injury, Xavier's been on his own. And we all know that Xavier is beyond capable of wrestling as well as presenting amazing storylines with whomever he gets into it with. Now, because Xavier was celebrating his kingdom and, of course, his kingship, the Usos put it upon themselves to interject because they felt that Roman was being challenged. How can this king exist in the tribal chief's kingdom? Or rather, the tribal chief's tribe. Whichever, you know, you, you like to say it. Nino Brown sent the goons out and was like, um, go check that bitch. Okay? Because there's only one kingpin around these parts, sir. You need to fall in line like the rest of the bitches. And of course, King Woods can't sit back and take that. Nay, nay. I am the king, honey. And you, <laughs> you are just one of my lowly subjects. Oh, but Nino Brown couldn't accept that. No, no. He had to make sure that King Woods was in his place, which is at the bottom of the totem pole. A little video gaming nerd can't come anything close to me. Me? Are you challenging me? It's laughable. Well, King Woods made it very clear that he was backing down from no one. So he took a challenge. I will face Jimmy Uso. And if Jimmy Uso beats me, I will bow and proclaim that Nino Brown is the tribal chief. And I have to acknowledge him. But if I win, you have to take a knee. And acknowledge me as the king of SmackDown. And king of all of WWE. You acknowledge me if I win. And I acknowledge Nino if he wins. Fair? Jimmy accepted. Match happens. And Jimmy loses. And Jimmy has to take a knee. As the ever crafty little distinguished twins. Red Roosters that they are. They decided to fight instead of doing what they promised they would do seeing as how they lost the next week comes around and of course after nino brown was done with vacation being naked on the beach with his wife as he put it everybody was all happy and smiles except for nino brown he had some quality control to do he put jimmy on front street and was very upset that he lost to xavier woods calling out woods and Kofi. This ultimately led to a brawl at the end of the show to which they beat down Woods and Kofi and beat Kofi so badly that he was taken out of commission. Kofi hasn't been back on the show in weeks. Now, Xavier Woods had a match with Roman Reigns because he was very upset, obviously, that they took out Kofi Kingston in the first place. And he wanted to make sure he avenged his knight. <laughs> and of course, his friend, his brother, his family. He wanted to avenge him. And he was on the verge of doing so. 
until once again, the CMB came in and cost him his match, cost him his pinfall victory. Now, technically, Roman lost that match due to disqualification. So, technically, Roman's streak is over. But, Xavier ended up paying the ultimate price. While Roman Reigns may have lost a match finally in a technicality, Xavier lost a lot more. He was beat down to the point of no return. And then, Roman took a knee and ultimately was crowned with Xavier's crown. Now, Big E being on Raw and still being a founding member of New Day and still actively being a friend, family member, brother, anything you can think of to Xavier was obviously livid at seeing his friend, his brother, his his comrade fall right before his eyes on television. So the next Monday... Big E made it very clear to everyone who was coming at his neck that he was not going to lay there and let them do it. He made it very clear that he recognized that Seth Rollins was a threat, but he wasn't going to give up his championship easily. He also called out Kevin Owens and made sure he got an explanation for what happened last week on Monday Night Raw, which that ended up erupting into a battle with the Usos for the battle. Big E made it very clear that at Survivor Series, he got the message and he was going to give Roman a message of his own. He was going to make sure that he took a piece of Roman Reigns away from him for him injuring one of his family members and not only in, in, in Kofi Kingston, but also beating down Xavier the way that he did. He ignited a fire in Big E that we haven't seen in a while. And Big E has been known to flip the switch from a happy-go-lucky, fun-loving guy to being angry, aggressive, and overtly passionate. We've seen this happen before. Anybody remember Johnny Boy? John Cena? Hmm? He used to do the same thing. Now, with all that being said, the Usos were on Monday Night Raw. And this erupted into a tag team match between Seth Rollins and the Usos going up against Big E, cool, and RK Bro. Two of the matches that are supposed to happen at Survivor Series, everybody's in a tag team. Typical WWE fair. The Usos ended up picking up the win along with Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins quickly removed himself from that situation. And it ended up being the Usos in the ring taking an RKO. And meanwhile, Big E was stalking Jay Uso while Jimmy Uso was laid out on the outside of the ring by Randy and Matt Riddle. Now, Big E told Jay Uso very clearly, you go back and you tell your daddy, I got the message, but I'm going to send him one of my own and hit Jay Uso with the big ending. And Big E was standing tall. Now, with all that being said, who do you choose? Do you side with the tribal chief and his minions? I like to call him Nino Brown in the CMB. If you don't know who that is, just Google it. You'll see. <laughs> 
If you side with Nino Brown in the CMB, what is the end game for Roman Reigns? He has no opponents. He has no adversary. He has nothing to stop him in doing what he's doing. He's blown through the entire roster. And quite frankly, there's nowhere else for Roman to go. He has plateaued. He's at the top. He has no one to challenge him in his position. But that's also a very dangerous place for a man to be. That leaves him to be vicious, paranoid, and constantly waiting for the shoe to drop, which makes Roman even more dangerous than anybody else on the roster. Or do you side with the face, Big E? Probably one of the most targeted champions in a long time. Looming over his shoulder is Seth Rollins, cackling loud and dripping with fashion, a la King Troy. And then you have the ever strong presence of Kevin Owens, hungry, angry, frustrated, and just brutal in his attacks and the way that he positioned himself to be the next guy in line. It's a very scary thought for Big E. And then he also has to worry about Roman. As I said, a caged animal is dangerous, but an unhinged, paranoid, and consistently angry animal is even worse. They are more dangerous because they are unpredictable and because he has no one to stop him from doing what he wants to do. This makes Biggie a prime target for all of Roman's rage. But it also gives Biggie a bit of an edge. Biggie can utilize the fact that Roman thinks he's safe. He thinks no one can take him out. He thinks that he is the end-all, be-all of the WWE, and there is no one who can stop him from just taking over everything, including Monday Night Raw. He thinks that he is unstoppable and therefore he is subject to making mistakes if Big E is smart he will utilize Roman's arrogance and overconfidence against him and God knows as much as I love both of these men I would not be opposed to watching Big E serve Roman his very first pinfall loss And you know what would be cool? And I have to give a big shout out to my friend Don because he said it. And I didn't believe that it could happen this way. But looking at the way that things have gone, he was 100% right. If we're going to go by this the way that they're going, and because Survivor Series isn't booked like this big brand defending match or show anymore, at least for this year, If the New Day come and they help Big E beat Roman, it'll be one of the greatest swerves in WWE history. And all flowers need to go to Don for saying it because he said it on my live a couple weeks ago. And I honestly didn't think about it. I didn't believe him, honestly. And I was dead set against it. But having thought about it and seen the events play out from start to finish, he was 100% right. It would give Big E one of the greatest wins over one of the most dominant champions in WWE history. And it would finally knock Roman off his pedestal and make him 
even more paranoid, angry, and he would become a monster. There would be nowhere for anyone to hide. And that would make for an even better storyline with Xavier. It has the potential to be great. So as I've said, who do you choose? I hope and pray that Big E picks up this win and they don't make it predictable for Survivor Series. Make it so that it is palatable and it is fun and you're sitting here like, oh my God, what just happened? With all that being said, we've got two final matches for this show. Which more than likely won't close it out, but I did so much with the story that I just had to come in and do this. The traditional five-on-five Survivor Series matches are still set to go. Five women on each team for Raw and SmackDown, and five men on each team for Raw and SmackDown. So, which team is going to will out? Well, for the women, you have pretty solid teams, sort of. (laughs) For the Raw Women's side, you have Bianca Belair, which is the team captain. You also have Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Carmella, and, of course, Zelina Vega, a.k.a. the very first queen, Queen's Crown winner. The team is kind of boring outside of Liv, Rhea, and Bianca. I don't really care for Carmella, and Zelina Vega is eh. Her accent with that crown is just ridiculously weird. Um, and I know a lot of y'all probably going to be like, but Xavier does an accent. And I'm just like, no, Zelina Vega goes in and out of her accent at will. It's odd. It doesn't fit. I wish she would just do her. Not everybody who's a fucking queen is British. Okay, stop that. That's stereotyping. And it's just not true. Like, you can be regal and not act like a fucking dickwad. Anyway... <laughs> Let's move forward. The SmackDown women's team isn't as set as the Raw women's team. The Raw women's team has been set since its inception. But as of last week, Aaliyah was removed from the team, which to be honest, her ass shouldn't have been on the team in the first place. She ain't wrestled not once on SmackDown except for last week. That was her first match that she wrestled. So much so that the woman threw up, which I ain't even trying to hate on her for that. A lot of people have pre-match jitters or their first match jitters. Like I've heard stories about wrestlers shitting on themselves, pissing themselves. They might have shit on themselves because they had food poisoning. They had gas, bubble guts, whatever the case may be. First match jitters, I heard people throwing up and all that kind of stuff. It's not uncommon. It happens. But the woman had a match, her first match, last week. And, of course, it was a reiteration of the Survivor Series team with an added Naomi in there. All right? They had a tag team match, and because Aaliyah won with Naomi's help, Styrofoam, which Sonya Deville got pissed and decided to remove the bitch from the team, which begs the question, ho, why the fuck did you put the bitch on the team to begin with? Ooh, you bleached out half a damn. Why did you put the girl on the team if you're going to do all of this? <laughs> Trust me, I'm getting to Adam Pierce's big, tall, lanky ass in a minute, okay? Because he's fucking up the game, too. I don't know what the hell is going on around here, but it's looking real ignorant, I Anyway, the SmackDown women's team isn't so sick. Like I said, Styrofoam Witch removed Aaliyah from the team, and now there is a vacant spot. 
Now, a lot of people are speculating that Naomi's going to find some kind of way to weasel her way into this Survivor Series team, but one can only hope. And at this rate, I don't put it past nobody for her ass not to be a part of Survivor Series. She was pretty much kept out of the Queen's Crown Tournament altogether, so I'm not surprised that she is, may not be on the Survivor Series team Everybody wants to say it's leading, lending to her story, but at this point, the story is not going nowhere, and Sonya's just continuing to double down on her ugly behavior when it comes to Naomi, and I swear to God, I swear to God, if her ass is doing all of this ignorant shit because of this tough enough shit, the same reason that Mandy did it, bitch, you need your ass whooped, and you need to grow the fuck up, grow up, oh, we don't have time for this, okay? Girl. So, who's going to take that fifth slot and possibly be a sole survivor for Survivor Series? I don't know. Tony Storm's in the back. You could always use Tony Storm. She's back there waiting and willing. And y'all seem to be bringing up NXT stars willy-nilly. So, I guess you can figure out what you want to do whenever you feel like doing it. Until then, I don't know. But I'm going to predict... That the Raw Women's team is going to be the winner. And Bianca Belair more than likely will be the sole survivor of Survivor Series. I'm going to leave it at that. If it ain't Bianca, it most definitely is going to be Liv Morgan. Let's move forward. The men's teams are not so simple either. Now on both sides respectively, each team has lost one or two original members of the Survivor Series teams. Let's start off with SmackDown. This past Friday, Sami Zayn made it very clear that he was upset about the teams and he wanted to be team captain. So, y'all resident Styrofoam Wish decided to make Sami Zayn a wager. If he wins, then Jeff Hardy would be removed from the team and he would be team captain. But if Jeff Hardy wins, then Sami Zayn would be removed from the team. Well... Jeff Hardy won, and therefore Sami Zayn is no longer a part of the Survivor Series team. So one would have to ask, who is left? Who could take that slot? You already have Drew McIntyre on the team, Jeff Hardy, King Woods, and unfortunately Corbin's on the team too. So who do you put in that slot? Ricochet, Ali, Mansoor, Mace? <laughs> I don't care for him as a wrestler. Sheamus, who do you put in that slot? I say you put Sheamus, Gangs of New York, in that slot. He is the most viable person on that roster that isn't on this team right now. Former tag team champion, former U.S. champion, former WWE champion. He is still one of the most decorated superstars on this roster, and he's not on the team? What is going on here? Is he injured? Is he still having issues with his nose? Is that why you haven't seen him yet on television? <sighs> Those are my picks. That's who I would put on the team. If it wasn't him, I most definitely go for Ali. 
I like Ali and I like the way he wrestles. And I think he would round out this team very well. If not, Cesaro didn't get the opportunity to be on the team. So put Cesaro on there. Let him have it. Anyway, on the other side, you have a set team. But the team has changed drastically. It went from Seth Rollins and Finn Balor and Kevin Owens and Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio to adding Bobby Lashley and Austin Theory within the last two weeks and removing Rey and Dominic both in matches. Now, had they had done the qualifying matches to begin with, no one would care about Bobby Lashley being on the team or not. But Adam Pearce essentially came out to the ring last week and made a whole statement about how he feels like he made a mistake putting Dominic on the team because he needs and wants Team SmackDown, Team Raw to win. So he forced Dominic into a match with Bobby Lashley, to which he knew he was going to lose. And Bobby Lashley got his slot on the Raw men's team. Now this week, he had a match with Rey Mysterio. Of course, Dominic was at his side. And after Ray lost, Adam Pierce came out again and basically said that he didn't think Ray Mysterio was capable enough to be on the Raw Men's Survivor Series team. And therefore, he was removed and an opponent and a replacement will be announced at a later notice. In comes the ultimate fanboy, Austin Theory, with his ugly ass powder blue gear. Coming in there with his overly tanned ass, standing there cheesing with them tiny ass baby teeth. You know Booty Tickler is out there just living his best life, honey. I bet you he was clenching that asshole as hard as he could. He was like, I can't believe I'm here. Ooh, skilly dude. <laughs> Literally came out there to take a picture while the man was laid out. And of course his son was out there trying to stop him. Adam Pierce came out there and said, Austin, I like your style. You're going to replace Rey Mysterio. I thought we were doing a team of former champions. All of these men on this team are former champions, with the exception of Austin Theory. So one would have to ask, what were your real intentions, Pierce? Were you trying to start some shit, bruh? Were you trying to get interest into Survivor Series? Because you could have just had qualifying matches to begin with to get the fucking interest. Huh? But I digress. <laughs> There's your Survivor Series teams. <laughs> I hope I did it justice. Now, if I didn't make sure I reiterated the teams, let me re-explain it after I do all my ranting and raving. The five-on-five Survivor Series teams for the women are as follows, okay? Sasha Banks is leading up her team with Sashi Blackheart, Natalia, and a mystery opponent, and Shayna Baszler. And then there's a mystery um, addition to their squad that hasn't been announced yet. We don't know who that's going to be. On the other side, the Raw women's team has been set, has been set and stayed that way. Selena Vega... Carmella, Liv Morgan, Rhea Ripley, and Bianca Belair are all on Team Raw with Bianca leading the charge. My pick is going to be Team Raw with Bianca or Liv Morgan possibly being the sole survivor. You might have a little swerve with having Vega be the sole survivor of that team, but you know, whatever works. And then you have the men's teams, like I mentioned before. 
SmackDown squad is as follows. So we can make sure that it's clear and nobody is, you know, saying that I didn't tell you. Okay. The men's squad is as follows, ladies and gents. You have Drew McIntyre leading his squad of Jeff Hardy, King Woods, a mystery edition, and of course, Corbin. And on the other side for Raw, you have Seth Rollins leading his team of Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Austin Theory, and Bobby Lashley. Now, what I'm noticing is that this entire team is made up of heels, whereas SmackDown's team is a little bit more eclectic. They have heels, anti-heroes, and faces over there, which might that makes them a little bit more dangerous and easier to um, tame. All of these heels on the, on the Raw squad are very egotistical and maniacal. The only one who really isn't a heel is Finn Balor. I'd say he's a tweener. It really depends on who he's going up against. Right now, Balor's a face more like character. However, there's your Survivor Series. Those are the teams, five on fives, the possible title matches, and all of the stories in between. You guys let me know what you think about my storytelling and how I did. I hope I got you interested in Survivor Series. And I give you gave you guys my predictions towards the end as well. So I hope you guys let me know your predictions. If you take the poll, I'm going to put the poll up for Spotify. If you listen to us on Spotify, you most definitely can. And I will pose the question as well to see if you guys have any questions for us on Spotify. And if you want to contact us and, you know, comment on our Twitter page, you most definitely can. Our Twitter is at DownForTheCount19. And our podcast on Instagram is at D4TC underscore podcast. And we want to make sure that you guys know about everything that's going on. We got a new podcast coming out Wednesday. Well, Thursday, actually. We got a new podcast coming out. And we have so much more. So you guys keep it locked here. And I will see you guys in the recap and the review of Survivor Series. We hope that it's a good show. See you guys then.